And before we carry on, I wanted to pray for us all. And um, I'm preaching from Psalm 20 today, but I'm going to start with the last verse of Psalm 19. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, help us to hear your words and help us to respond in worship today. Amen. Amen. So I've chosen Psalm 20 intentionally today because um, this is the stage where we're coming out of the pandemic and seeing what God has got in store for us and where we are as God's people. And uh, I've chosen this psalm uh, specifically because it's, it's an amazing psalm. Um, if we wanted to look at the book of Psalms, actually, we've got two psalms that set the tone for the interpretation of all the psalms. We've got Psalm 1 and 2. The Psalm 1 is about the Torah, God's word, and Psalm 2 is about God's kind, king and his kingdom. And this then sets the tone that what happens with the people of God who walk on the same beat as God's word and God's kingdom, and what happens if they don't. So the, the interpretation of the Psalms and what is written there is purely that outcome, that if you've embraced the Torah, if you embrace God's king, then you are going to be in a good harmonious relationship with the Heavenly Father. And the moment that you put your back to that, then your ways are going to depart from him. So with that in mind, we come to Psalm 20, which actually it's a royal psalm. And um, if you were to read different um, commentators, this has become the source of um, a lot of controversy because it has been used for the coronation of kings, and some of those kings and queens have been good ones, and some of them have been not good ones. And, and yet it has been used through the centuries. But that is not the purpose why I have uh, chosen it today. I think um, I love the psalm because actually it's a preparation. It's a psalm of preparation. The king is about to go in battle and there is a preparation. So this is when the people of God are on track with the Torah and with the king. And we don't experience it as much here, but uh, back home, we know very well when the storm is coming. I'm trying to find a word that describes it. I was telling Ruth this morning, because even eerie is not that right, because you really know, I mean, for those of you who have come to Albania and have experienced those really thunderstorms, you really know when the storm is coming. Several times I would call my sister and she would say, I need to rush home, to cycle home, because I know that there is a storm coming. You feel it in the air, you smell it, you see the dark clouds approaching you, and you need to get ready and prepare yourself for this storm. And I think this is the kind of a sense that we get here when actually David 
is writing a psalm that people can pray for him, but also it's people preparing before they go in the battle. So it's a psalm of David. And in times of trouble, may the Lord respond to your cry. May God of Israel keep you safe from all the harm. I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation. So it's, it's a psalm for David, actually, because he's written this liturgy for people to be using for the king. So a psalm for David, as people pray for their king, and by David to teach the people how to pray for their king. And Ruth, there was a great reminder today to be thinking and to be praying for us as a church, for those of us, for those that we have got in authority. I mean, first Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy to say, actually pray, plead for God's mercy for the kings and for those who are in authority and for God's mercy upon them and give thanks so then we can live a life in peace and quietness and godliness and dignity. And we have already taken that moment. But for Paul to be writing this to Timothy, this was in the time of Nero. You do the interpretation of that. So it's a tool for us to tune our hearts with God's word, with the Torah, and in his kingdom, and to be praying for mercy for those politicians, whether we like them or not. Preparation of the king, preparation of God's people to be praying for this victory. But the main, the main kind of recurring theme of the whole psalm is the word answer or response. It starts with answer and response, and it ends with answer and response. So the whole structure, the whole content of the psalm is sandwiched with this word, answer. And in one sense, verses 1 to 5 are a prayer that God will answer the king's prayers. Verse 6 is that assurance that actually God has already answered the king's prayers. And you see that also in verses 7 and 8. And then verse 9 says, but God, you answer our prayers. And one thing that I love about this psalm that I'm going to pick up in the end as an application form is that there is this big switch between we, I, we. It's, it's, a, it's a great liturgical psalm with the response from the leader to the people and back. But there is a critical connection here, and it is very critical to understand the psalm. Because... The answer to the king's prayer is connected to the answer of the people's prayers. The answer to the king's prayer is connected to the answer of our prayers. Christopher Ash says that only when our king is the man whose prayers are answered, may we, the king's people, hope that our prayers will be answered and even that 
only when the heartbeat of our prayers is the longing that the king's prayers will be answered. This, in the end, is what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. We pray in the name of and for the victory of the king. The psalmist, David himself, is not reserved to tell us that actually the king has got heart's desires. Verse 4, may he grant your heart's desires and fulfill your plans. And this heart's desires of David, but also ultimately the heart's desires of Jesus, our king, are in line with the purposes of God because they are completely in tune with God's will. Isn't it great? Isn't it amazing that our God, Jesus himself, our King, is not one of those cardboard figures, cutouts. I love it when you, when you see them, when you go to the supermarkets and they've got those cut out policemen, or you see celebrities cut out cardboards. And I, I wanted to bring it here because actually our king has got real desires. He's got real desires for you today. He's got real desires and longings for the church. Our king is not like a cut out cardboard. He's got desires in his heart. He makes plans and he wants them to succeed. So what does this psalm do then? Well, it's very obvious that actually if the king has got desires and if the king is looking and is seeking God's heart for victory, well, verse 5 says, May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory flying banners of honor to our God. May the Lord answer all our prayers. Now, this psalm really reshapes the desires of my heart. Because this is the point when I begin to genuinely care more about the victories of King Jesus in my life rather than the success or failure that we are thrown at the whole time. And this is an opportunity for us to be embracing this wonderful and radical change. I think this is raw and real because we're coming out of a pandemic and we've got desires, we've got aspirations, we've got things that we've been dreamed for, we've got things that we have oppressed for the last how many months? But the question is, is this a desire that can be really challenged, could be really changed and transformed, that actually is tracked in a way that is caring more not about my success, my dreams, my aspirations, but is it shaped in such a way that cares more for the victory 
of the king. We'll stop there a bit later on when I apply, when we, I give some applications. But we carry on with the psalm here. Verse 6 says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed king. He will answer him from his holy heaven and rescue him by his great power. There is an assurance of answer. The prayers of the king will be answered. So we align our hearts and trust him as we share in this victory. Now, we know very well, if you, we don't need to read the whole Old Testament. All you need to do is read the book of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. And you know the story of the kings and the monarchy from King David onwards. We know whether they embraced the Torah and God's kingdom or if they carried on doing their own thing. If they truly believed and prayed this prayer for themselves and the king. You look at the history of the Old Testament and you see how the monarchy behaved and the overall summary is, well, it's quite disappointing. But the longing continued that one day, one king will rule in David's line whose prayers would be answered. Maybe this king would come a little bit more in history, but he came. The descendant of David came and God answered his prayers. If we are reminded of the story where the healing or the resurrection of Lazarus, if you look at John 11, chapter 42, the king, Jesus, says, Thank you, Father, that you have heard my prayer. The assurance that God will answer the prayer of the king father i thank you that you have heard me i knew you always hear me that's my version we are here at last we have a king whose requests are always granted and even death bow down before him And this, this, this puts us into that place of confidence. Verse 7, some nations boast of their armies and weapons, but we boast in the Lord our God. And perhaps the equivalent of the horses of chariots is the, 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 the biggest, the biggest uh, show off of their army powers. I haven't told you a, a Navy story for a long time. I hear <laughs> thank you. But part of my training was that we needed to train for a month for a parade. And this was just to show off all the power and all the, the forces and the, the size. I mean, it's so ironic because 
For such a small country like Albania, we still thought that we had the greatest army in the whole world. But hey-ho, we will talk about that another time. But, but it's so interesting because I can so identify with this that actually there is elements that we boast. Yet yeah, David, who wrote the psalm so many thousand years ago, didn't know about the nuclear powers and the, the intellect powers and the financial powers of this world. But he knew that in current situations, the chariots and the horses were the, 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 the significance and the, 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 the show-off of the powers. And yet, as a king who was powerful, he did not put his trust on the chariots of the horses. Our trust, our boast, is in the name of the Lord our God. So, I've chosen this psalm because as we come out of this pandemic and as we look forward to what God has got in store for us, I wanted to challenge us this morning, I wanted to challenge myself that actually we care for the victory of the King. That there is that shifting of our hearts of wanting to have our own success, that we from praying that actually I succeed in that job interview, in that exam, in that role of work that I have, in that role in the family I have, to actually, Jesus, you get the victory. Jesus, you are victorious in the place that you have called me to. So it's, it's the tuning of hearts with the song of the king in a way that actually it's less about me, but it's more about the victory of the king. And I'm sure that in theory, we won that. I'm sure that when we talk about it, it's not just theoretical. We, down deep within us, we won that. But how do we carry on caring about the victory of the king in our lives? Well, it's very clear, Psalm 20. We continue to show our dependence on the king, our allegiance to the king, by praying, by having this framework of confidence in him. Because the prayers of the king are answered. And if the prayers of the king are answered, then our prayers are answered as a result of that. And lastly, how do we do this? That we care for the victory of the king in our lives. Well, I said to you, I love the shift between we, I, we here. Psalm 20 reminds the king and reminds the people that they are not alone. They've got one another. They've got God in the middle. So there I ask, who else is in the we today? If we say 
we're not alone, dare I ask, who is in the way today? And the reason why I ask that is because, again, this is an encouragement that we've got an opportunity here, that we care for the victories of the King of our lives as we pray, but also as we gently remind, as we gently encourage, as we gently intercede, as we gently walk alongside one another, because we believe that the King is victorious. So I want to stop here. And Iron um, earlier on led us to that song. And that's where I want to stop and use that as a, as a, as a prayer. The song was, You are God, Jesus, the Lord of all. We place you above all else. Let's take a moment and commit our hearts to God. As individuals and as a church, Lord, we want to say this morning that we care about your victory in our lives. We're so grateful to the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that died not only for our sins, but also died and was resurrected for our victories. And as we dwell on this psalm today and in the coming days, Lord, I pray that our trust and our confidence in you will grow. Because you have answered the prayers of our King Jesus. Lord, would you help us to care about your victory in all that we do this week? in the places that you ask us to go, whether work, whether family, whether friendship circles, marketplace, that we seek and we care for the victory of the King. And thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. Thank you that first and foremost, you have promised us the Holy Spirit. But also, Lord, thank you that you have given us one another. Lord, we want to say we love you this morning. We want to say that you are our God, Jesus. You are our King. And we place you above all else. And we pray, we pray in your name, in the name of and for the victory of the King Jesus. Amen.